Well, good morning. It's, uh, as always, a pleasure and a joy to be uh, with you again this morning. Let me thank you for coming to uh, worship with us uh, in spite of the rain and overcast. I guess it was kind of sunshine and maybe when we finally got out, but I know when I got up this morning it was pouring. And uh, I thought, man, this is going to be an exciting day trying to get these things in. But the Lord was good, and uh, we had some uh, dry to, to bring all of our equipment in. And then there was an incredible rainbow, um, a reminder of God's faithfulness to us that, that, that I was able to kind of look at. I hope you saw that this morning. Turn with me to Mark chapter 1. We're going to just sort of jump right in and pick up with our study of uh, the king and his work. Uh, this this fast-paced introduction uh, to, to who Jesus is and what he's come to do. And uh, I, I hope, again, that you're enjoying our study and that you're getting to know Christ in a new and in a fresh way, perhaps in a way that you never have before. <clears throat> We're going to be looking this morning at verses 21 to 28. Uh, and I'm really excited because I've been telling you on, uh, I've told you a few times leading up to this point that the demons know all too well who Jesus is. And so this is going to be the first example of their outstanding theology. So that, so that while nobody else seems to get it, and we will see this time and time and time again, uh, the, the demons know better than anybody who Jesus is and, and consequently what he's come to do. And that's really the force of the issue is not only who Jesus is, but closely connected to who Jesus is as what Jesus has come to do. And so part of the goal of our study and part of the goal of Mark in writing this book the way that he did, if you remember, it is to get to that point in Mark chapter 16 where with Peter we confess that he is the Christ, the Messiah. But it's, it's not just to have the knowledge of his name and who he is, but it's so that we will understand that it is the Christ who has come to save that it is the Messiah, the one that is redeeming his people, the one that has come to, to make right what has gone wrong in creation and to redeem uh, those that the Lord is giving to him. And so uh, closely connected to who Jesus is is what he's doing, and that's fundamentally what this book and I would argue the Bible is about in its entirety. And we're going to see a great example of how the demons know uh, all too well this morning who Jesus is and, and what he's doing. I want you to... Uh, kind of keep in the front of your mind as we read this passage together that this is a passage uh, making comparisons. And I'm going to try to draw those comparisons out for you. They may not at first seem totally evident, but in Mark chapter 1, there are comparisons being made between Jesus and everybody else. And so in order to really understand what he's trying to communicate to us about who Jesus is and what he's done, we have to look at it in light of how Jesus compares to the others. So that's kind of a little bit of the framework about what we're going to be doing this morning. So Mark chapter 1, let's begin reading in verse 21, if you have your copy of the Word of God. Uh, Before we read, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Well, Lord God, we we plead with you this morning uh, to open your Word to us in a new and in a fresh way, or to stamp the truth of the gospel upon our hearts, that it would be life-changing, Father, that it would be a source of great joy and excitement for us. Lord, we pray that you would remove our inabilities to see and to understand and to believe. Father, that you would give us wisdom and knowledge and understanding and that you would place faith in our hearts. Father, that you would cause us to believe the things that we read. That you would cause us to understand them in a way that we never have before. And that you would enable us by your spirit to apply them to our hearts and our lives in a way that would uh, lead to change. 
So, Father, we pray now that you would feed us. Um, Feed us for our benefit, but ultimately that we would be uh, greater equipped to bring about your glory. In Christ's name we ask. Amen. So beginning in in, in Mark chapter 1, verse 21, we read, Then they, uh, and, and that is his... Jesus and his newly founded disciples, if you were with us last week, we, we saw the call to discipleship going out. Then they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and he taught. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. Now there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. Then they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And immediately his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. So, so Jesus and his disciples, who he has now called, and they left their, their jobs and their families and everything that they had, they have incredibly and miraculously put everything down, been transformed by Christ, and followed the king. And so now they're on their journey. And, and from Mark's perspective, as this book is being written, uh, the preliminaries are finished. You know, I told you last time that we were looking at a transitionary passage that uh, we've transitioned from first the introduction to who the king is, the reality that the king has come, and, and, and then setting up for us that because he is the king, it comes with great authority. So there's the proclamation at the baptism of his authority, and then last week we saw sort of the expression in an overarching manner of this authority of Jesus. First, authority over the prince of Darkness over sin and over sinners. So it's sort of this, and, and that's going to be kind of the, the umbrella for the rest of the book of Mark. What he's going to do is he's going to flesh out for us then, especially in the immediate context here today, flesh out for us what this authority looks like. This authority over the devil and over demons and over sin and over sinners. Okay, and so, so, so there's been this transition, but the overarching sort of themes have been set. We've been introduced to the king, we've been introduced to who he is, we've been introduced to what he's coming to do, and we've seen all of those things. And so now he's going to get into the meat or or, or the the day-to-day experiences of Christ and his ministry. What was Jesus doing? And, And the reason that's important is because he sets up for us the major the sort of macro themes, and then he's going to show us day to day how we find all of those things being worked out in his life. He's not just going to give us the information, he's going to give us the examples that go with the information. That's a a good method for teaching. It's often in here with you guys that I, I give you some form of information, and then I try to give you an example so that you can understand that information. And so it is for those of us who are trying to know Jesus and understand this king, his authority, his reign, his kingdom, right? One of the best ways to do that is to experience and to get to know what he did, the, to be given examples of how he lived and how he impacted the lives of so many people around him. And so that's, that's essentially where we are in the story. The story's going to begin. The story's going to pick up. Okay, the, the meat, the examples of the story. 
Now it's important, remember I told you that this is a, this is a book about, this is a passage about comparisons. Uh, and, and they may not be at first totally evident to you, but I want to try to bring out the, the greatest comparison that I think is the whole point of this passage. If you notice, the title of this passage comes from uh, down at the very, almost very end of verse 27, when the scribes are sort of questioning among themselves, what is this? What is this new doctrine? In, in their amazement, and, and here's what they proclaim rightly, even in their ignorance about Jesus, for with authority he commands. So this, this word authority comes up multiple times in these seven verses. It, it said, I believe three times we see the word authority here used in different ways, but describing the same thing. And it is these scribes that have sort of given to Jesus this right ascription of authority. For it is with authority that he commands. Well, the reason that's so important is because it is different from the way that they command. Now, I need you to see this. What he's doing is he's setting up a comparison between the authority of the authorities of the day and the authority of the new king. There's a big difference in the authority that they carry. Now, if I have, we've talked about authority up to this point. We've talked about the importance, remember, uh, at the baptism of Jesus, that he is identified publicly as God. Divine. Why? Because it is based on his divinity then that his authority finds its expression and outworking. That if he's not God, he doesn't have the authority to do what God has sent him to do. And so all of what he's going to do is based then on his authority to do it. And his authority is rooted in his divinity. And so he's built up this sort of argument for us up to this point to see that the king is God, he is divine, and he is authoritative, and he comes with this authority. But what you need to see about the authority is that it is a different authority, right? And what better way to, to, to put a stake in the ground between Jesus' authority and that of everybody else's than to compare it to the authorities of the day. So you've got, to, you've got to realize who it is in this passage that he's talking about. Who were these scribes? Well, he, he and his disciples, immediately on the Sabbath, they enter into the synagogue, and they were teaching. Now, the scribes were the people who were normally in the synagogue doing the teaching. These were the religious leaders of the day that were considered to be the authorities on the Word of God. They knew the Old Testament better than any of us ever will. They had more knowledge, more understanding. They were more able to deal with the text. They were more able to translate the languages. They knew everything from a perspective of knowledge that there was to know about the Bible, about the Word of God, about the law of God. They were full of knowledge. I want you to think about somebody like the Apostle Paul, who was a scribe and a Pharisee of Pharisees, right? who says that, that there was nothing he did not know about the Bible. And he, and he talks about this great badge that it was to him. What, what's somebody going to teach the Apostle Paul about, about the Word of God that he did not already know because of his training and because of this knowledge that he had? So the point is, is that these were normally the people who were seen as the authorities. So that if you had questions about the Word of God, if you had questions, should I do this, should I not do this, should we be partaking in this, what... Is, is God going to save us? Is God going to come again? Uh, questions about the end times, questions about who God is, religious questions, moral questions. Who did you go to? 
you went to the scribes who were found in the synagogue doing what I'm doing now, teaching about the word of God. But Jesus comes into the synagogue with this different authority and he begins to teach from the word of God. And we'll see that in in just a few moments. And some incredible things begin to happen. And essentially the, the leaders, the authorities on these things are dumbfounded and they do not, they cannot believe and understand what they're seeing. So here's the question then. What is different about Jesus's authority? First, his authority is different because it originates from a different place. It originates, this, this is huge. If you don't get anything else about this passage, this is what you have to understand. The authority of Jesus originates from a different place. You remember, I've, I've tried to connect the dots between the divinity of Jesus and the authority that he expresses over the devil, over sin, over sinners, over all of creation. There's this connection between his divinity and his authority. Here's the deal. His authority originates from divinity. The word for authority that's used in this text multiple times It can be translated multiple ways in our language, but essentially it comes from the word that means out of the original stuff. That's as simple as I can put it. It's the same word that we use for author. Now, that should help you. Because an author is one who writes an original work, who is not getting ideas from other people and then putting them on paper, but who is coming up with original ideas as the author of those ideas and putting pen to paper and producing them for people. The authority that Jesus has about the Bible originates from his divinity. And what that means is, is that he is not, like the scribes, relying upon the teaching of other scribes who have come before them. He is speaking firsthand about things that he authored. So that when the people hear his teaching... They do not hear, like me, they they do not hear scribes and Pharisees who are handing down to them the the traditions and the teachings of of their fathers and their forefathers who have learned at the feet of so many others. What they hear is a man who is explaining to them the story of their entire life as if he knows them, as if he made them, because he did. And so this authority is, it's not, it's not that Jesus went to theology school and, and, and learned all the ins and outs of all the arguments like, like I may have tried to, to do in, in the years that have gone past. And, and, and he doesn't stand up like I will on, on various occasions and say, listen, I'm not really sure what this means. I, there are these possible arguments for, for this passage and for what this might mean and how we might apply this to our lives. And we're just not 100% sure. Miss Debbie and I were speaking just a few minutes ago about uh, how wealthy the fishermen last week were. I don't think they were wealthy but I don't think they were destitute either. Ultimately, we don't, we don't really know, okay? Jesus was not teaching them as one who had learned. He was teaching them as one who had made. And there's a big difference. And it is this originate, original authority, this original knowledge, this firsthand understanding of the Word, because He is the Word, and He created the word, and through his spirit, wrote the word. You know, I mean, who better to talk about their own, their books than the authors themselves? Who who better to teach 
creation than the creator. And, and you've got to see that, that unlike the scribes and the teachers and the Pharisees who were found in the synagogue day in and day out and were considered to be the authorities, never before had anybody there ever encountered someone who spoke to them out of personal experience with them until Jesus walks in the door. And he begins to teach them out of the original stuff because he's the original king who created them. And he's the only one who has the knowledge of what is missing deepest, what their, what their greatest longings and needs are in their life. And he's the only one who knows that and consequently becomes the only one who can meet them. And so it says that, that he's teaching them with authority. Look, look, look at what it says in 22. And they were astonished at his teaching, not because, he told, you know, not, not because he gave them some neat little nugget of information that they had never heard before. For, that this is, the, this is the clause that explains what has come before, they were astonished because he taught them as one having authority, and then the comparison is made, not as the scribes. Well, the scribes had authority. They were the authority on the word of God. So what was different about Jesus' authority and the authority of the scribes? So much so that the Bible tells us that the people were amazed at his authority because he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes did. The point there is who don't have authority. It is that it is a different kind of authority because it comes from a different place. He's God. He made them. And he knows them. He knows what they need. He can meet the deepest desires and longings of their heart. And he's come to do that. You remember... Christianity is the only religion in the world where God comes to you to do for you what you can't do for you. All all the religions of the world are about you going to where God is and being good enough to get to him and eventually, hopefully, one day making it. Christianity is beautiful because it's the only religion where God comes to us as the original authority on us to fix us. That's a beautiful picture. And so he speaks to them with an authority that is first from a different place. Secondly, though, and this is equally as important. It is not only originating from a new place. It is not only an original authority. It is authority that comes with a very different purpose. With a very different purpose. The authority of the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day was often, as it is in our day, abused and misused so as to put people under the thumb of righteousness and morality it was essentially abused as a means by which to obtain power. The scribes and the Pharisees, they loved their position. It's reflected like I mentioned Paul a few moments ago. When Paul talks about, you know, all the things that I once counted gain, I have now counted loss. That, that I used to boast in these things. That, it was, that it's a badge on my lapel. And, and, and they enjoyed being able to tell people what they could and what they could not do. And setting up legalistic parameters that they had to follow every day. And if they did not follow them, then they were going to be smoked and they were never going to be good enough. And we're, going to, we're going to see the difference in a little bit about uh, the, the difference in religion and the gospel. Uh, and, and I think it's at least mildly evident there. But so, for what purpose did Jesus bring this authority? This new authority, this this knowledge of the original things by which to teach these people. Well, first, look at, look at what happens. Uh, he's in the synagogue, and what is he doing in the synagogue? He is teaching them 
from the word of God. He is teaching them as one having authority. And then it says that there's this man with an unclean spirit. And he tells him to let us alone. Why have you, uh, you know, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know you are. You're the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him and said, be quiet and come out of him. When the unclean spirit had convulsed and cried out with a loud voice, he came out. And then they were all amazed. And so they questioned among themselves, what is this? And then here's it, here it is. What new doctrine? It's a word for teaching. What is this that he is teaching? It was the same word, the same Bible, the same information that they had been being taught for so many years, day in and day out by so many different people. The difference was that it was being taught to them by this new authority, this new king, with this, with this new understanding of the word and of who they are. The first reason that Jesus comes with this new authority is to make right proclamation of the truth. Right proclamation of the truth. And consequently, what is it that the demons have such a problem with? When they hear the teaching, they scream out with a loud voice. We'll talk about the response in just a little bit, because I think that's going to be the third difference. But what is it that the demons struggle so badly with? It is the proclamation of the word of God in its truest and most pure form. That Jesus alone has come to clarify what so many people have distorted. And that is the gospel. Now, what's the difference between religion and gospel? Well, for the scribes who were teaching with this some form of authority, and for so many pastors in our day who are, who are teaching this legalistic religious ideal, what's the difference between religion and the gospel? I mean, we're told that the gospel of Jesus Christ is what has begun, the good news of the gospel that Jesus came preaching. That's what we looked at last week, the good news of the gospel. Listen, the difference is this. Religion is about good advice. That if you follow good, well enough and, and keep close enough, maybe you'll make the cut. The gospel has nothing to do with advice. It has everything to do with accomplishment. The gospel is the good news that there is no advice that could tell you anything that you could do well enough that you could ever be good enough for God. But the gospel is that you can't be good enough for God. So God came to you to do for you what you can't do for you. So, so it's not about advice. So Jesus comes with authority, a new and a different authority, because he's going to bring about a different teaching. It is first for the proclamation of the truth. Secondly, however, I think there's a different purpose, and it is for judgment. Now, we get real nervous about judgment sort of in our day, and pe people don't really like to talk about judgment. But look, the demons know all too well who Jesus is, and they know for what purpose he's come. And so let's look at what they, what they wonder about his presence. Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are. What are, the demons, what are the demons pointing to us? The demons are pointing out to us that one of the purposes of the authority of Christ is ultimately to destroy the devil and sin and to free. See, we think of judgment as bringing, bringing bondage. Oh, that we're under the weight of judgment. Listen, the judgment of God is against sin and wickedness and evil. Right? And so there is this judgment that in sending Christ to judge wickedness and, and sin and to condemn sin on the cross 
and to atone for that sin by his blood. It is through the judgment of God upon sin that freedom from bondage is brought about. So judgment is not a bad thing. And, and so, so unlike the oppression right, of, of the scribes who sort of lorded over people with their inappropriate teaching, Jesus comes, and the demons know all too well, that he has come to bring about the destruction of evil. Guys, that's good news. Because every single one of you in this room, in your flesh, are in bondage to sin. I mean, that's what Paul talks about in Romans. Apart from Christ, all we can do is sin. And if it's not for Christ coming to free us from that bondage, then, then we will forever be lost. And so this new authority that comes from this new place, that comes with this new teaching, that comes for a different kind of judgment... And here's the third thing that's different. It brings about a new product. So it comes from a new place. It comes with a new purpose. And then finally, it brings about a new product. And, and I think this is crucially important to see. What is the product in, in my life and in yours, in the life of the demons, in the life of the scribes, in the, in the lives of those who were listening to Jesus in the synagogue that day, what is the product of this new authority, this new teaching, this new proclamation and judgment against sin? That, that's really the question that we all have to get to today and tomorrow and for the rest of our life. What sort of response? Well, for the scribes, I think that when, when they taught this distorted religion, this morality. They gave this good advice to people. They, they taught with this authority that was not from the original stuff, but was from tradition that they had been handed down. The result was behavior modification. The result was do this and don't do this and be this and, and don't be that. Listen, Jesus did not come and die on the cross so that you would be more well-behaved. Jesus came and died on the cross so that you would be created and substantively different than you were. The behavior follows. But Jesus didn't give up. God, God didn't give his only son just so, that, just so that you wouldn't, you know, drink, smoke, dip, and dance. Like so many Baptist preachers have rammed down your throat for 50 years. To our shame. Jesus came to make you new. Remember, what does Mark do at the very beginning of this text in Mark chapter 1? He gives us a recreation from Genesis chapter 1 where God is breaking into human history again to make all things new, to make it substantively different. The product of what was going on in their day that Jesus was being sort of juxtaposed against and condemning with this new authority and this new teaching and this new judgment was the breakdown and the destruction of legalism. It was not about holding people under the thumb of the law. It was about freeing people from the bondage of the law so that they could be changed and free, liberated to live unto him. It's a, it's, a totally, it's a totally different result in their life. What about, what about the result, the product for the demons? Um, there's a very important, uh, another comparison here that I, I don't, I'm not going to get into at, at length this morning, but there's another comparison here, and that is the product of the response that's different or the comparison between the responses of the demons and the scribes. 
when Jesus shows up on the scene and he gets into their world and he sort of begins to teach and to change and to confront, the demons respond with terror. They are absolutely terrified. What do you have to do with us? Have you come to destroy us? They are rebuked by him. He silences them, requires that they come out of him. They must follow Jesus' commands and do exactly what he's told them to do. They convulse the guy and then they get out just as Jesus commanded them to do. They are terrified. What about the scribes? It's very interesting. They don't seem scared at all. They're amazed. A little side note here. Amazement with Jesus is not enough to save anybody. It, um, amazement, listen, if you really understand who Jesus is and, and the authority that he brings, knowledge brings fear. Let me, let me, let me give you a story, a story, an example that I, I saw this week. I was, watching a, I was watching on the Discovery Channel a documentary about exotic pet owners in the United States. And if you're not aware of this, there are people keeping some really creepy stuff <laughs> in places where it's allowed. I mean, we're talking like tigers and lions and like little cages and trailers out back. Anyway, the animal control guy gets a call from a family with tons of kids in the neighborhood. They've, they've got six, eight, ten-year-old kids who have found a large boa constrictor in the garage. You know, animal control, you got to come get this large boa constrictor, somebody's exotic pet that has gotten on the loose, and my kids have been playing with it. So the animal control guy shows up, and he goes into where the children... Sh- tell him where the boa constrictor is, and he sees a six-foot-long gaboon viper, which is one of the deadliest vipers in all of the world coming out of Africa, and it has the longest fangs of any snake in the world. Now, here's the kicker. The children, who had no knowledge of what the snake was, had absolutely no fear of what it could do. They had been walking around with a gaboon viper around their necks and playing with it for all of the morning. When the animal control guy showed up, he freaked out. And he gets everybody back as far away as he can, and he doesn't even want to mess with this viper until he calls for backup. Why? Because he knows what the viper is, and he knows what it's capable of. And, and guys, part of what we see in this text is that the scribes don't get it, Sure, they're amazed because they don't understand. But the demons get it, and and at least on some level, one of the only appropriate responses to the authority of Jesus is one of genuine fear. And listen, fear's not a bad thing. For no one who fears the consequences of their sin ever has any reason to look for salvation from those consequences. So see, see, see fear, the law that God gives us to show us that we're, that we're dwelling in sin and living in contradiction to his law and what he stands for and what he's done for us. It is an act of grace because it is, it is, that, it is in some respect that, that, that healthy fear of who God is and what he's come to do, to sin, to, to destroy it, that, that pushes us in humility to the cross to the king, 
who's come. Do you you see the difference? Jesus' authority and his proclamation of the truth and his judgment, it did not lead to people thinking more of themselves and trying harder to be even better. It led to people understanding that they were dying and that they couldn't fix it and brought them to himself so that the result is totally different. So that the product of the authority of Christ in mine and your life should not be only terror, okay? It it should not be only amazement. We should not only stand astounded. But I would point you back to verses 16 to 20 that we looked at last time. What he's showing us is that the right response is one of humble sacrifice, like Simon and Andrew and James and John. See the connection? We talked last week about what it means to be a disciple, called to discipleship, to to, to see Jesus for who he is and what he's done, and to be so captivated by grace that it transforms and reorients your life so that you put everything aside and you follow him with everything that you have. The demons were terrified, but they weren't changing. The scribes were amazed, but they didn't really understand his authority. But Jesus has come with this new authority to call disciples to himself. And so the only appropriate response, the different product of Jesus' authority, is one of humble sacrifice, where we put ourself aside and we pursue with everything we have this King Jesus. We, we give our lives, our families, our jobs, our priorities. Everything that we have revolves around King Jesus. See, he's the king. And if he's the king who possesses kingly authority, then it behooves his people to, to honor that. Let's pray. Father, thank you that... Um, In your time, you sent your son, uh, who was fully God, who came with this new authority, this original knowledge of, of who I am and what I need, to come and to proclaim the truth in a new way and to bring about a new kind of judgment that would not simply judge me and condemn me and leave me, but that would judge me and condemn me and also provide a way of escape for me. And so, Father, we pray this morning that, that we would all be captivated by this new message, that, that we would all be found under the reign of the Supreme King Jesus, that he would be the hub around which all of our life spins, that we would be trusting and believing in him to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Father, that we would wholly give ourselves to him. So Lord, speak to us as we sing and as we pray and transform our lives by your authority. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.